Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you're listening to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Each week, we bring you a woman who can help you in a very important part of your life. How about your relationships, your business, your health and fitness, and, of course, most importantly, your self-esteem? Now, if you've been listening to these conversations, you know that I've been interviewing leading women since 2007. These women are so amazing that I chose 19 of them to co-author my book, Leading Women, 20 Influential Women Share Their Secrets to Leadership, Business, and Life. You know, it's, it's, it's full of personal stories and guidance about accessing your internal power, managing your external environment, and connecting with others. You can find it in the business section of your local bookstore or order it from Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Now, this week, I'm pleased to welcome one of my leading women co-authors, Joanna Krauts. Joanna wrote the chapter, Redefining Sex and Power, How Women Can Bankroll, Change, and Fund Their Future. She's interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs as a national magazine editor, author, and journalist. She's a regular columnist for Huffington Post, WorkingMotherAndEntrepreneur.com. Her web radio show, The Women's Playbook, features interviews with successful women entrepreneurs. She's here today to talk about her new book, Being Equal Doesn't Mean Being the Same, Why Behaving Like a Girl Can Change Your Life and Grow Your Business. Joanna wrote this guide for women to start their own business now, because when men make the rules, women don't advance. And she, of course, knows this and wants to share her ideas. Now, I'm very excited to welcome Joanna Krauts to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Thank you so much for being with me. So good to talk to you again. Well, good morning, Joanna. Thank good morning, you. Nancy. And thank you for coming back. It's a repeat performance, but it's always a great performance. You're one of the most energetic uh, writers and so, so good about being a, a great storyteller as well. And this is a great story that women need to hear. There's no doubt about it. I think this is a a good time in history of women as far as business is concerned to hear these things and to know these things. So this is a great book, and I will, we're really going to promote this and push this because this is a wonderful book. Oh, I appreciate that. It's on. It's available. I mean, this is cart before the horse, but it's available on all the usual channels, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, iBooks, Apple, so on. So, Absolutely. Well, you know, as I, I always do, I start out with the, the personal story because, Joanna, I think oftentimes women don't understand why we end up doing what we're doing, and oftentimes it, it's a personal story that gets us started in whatever area of life we're in. So if you don't mind, let's talk about how you became the Joanna today uh, based on all your other experiences and why you're doing what you're doing today. Yeah, I feel like I'm still evolving. <laughs> well, and, and in I fact, had someone... Are. Yeah, we all are. Just just a couple of days ago, I had someone who I was talking to uh, say, well, what are you going to be when you grow up? So yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I really am. Um, but I, I, think, uh, I think I've been on a trajectory that has uh, some themes that, do, uh, that are synergistic. The last time we talked, it was about women in philanthropy, women in giving. And that was um, in a previous book I did that was all about women finding their values and then funding what they cared about and being um, responsible and, I guess, cognizant of of the muscle they have in terms of financial clout and emotional con- and political influence. And here I am on this book about entrepreneurship, which is uh, similar values, similar kinds of themes, 
in a business context, so I think it's almost broader. But in a way, it's all about putting on big girl pants and deciding what you want to do. And I think that was what happened with me. Um, I spent many years as a top editor in major media companies, and I always felt, you know, I somehow didn't fit. You know, I did well. I had good money. I had good jobs. I had good responsibility. I had really interesting creative work. But there was always this sense of um, not fitting in, you know, being a change agent, being something of a misfit or troublemaker, and I kept changing jobs, uh, thinking I would find something different or better, and I did, but it was, again, being hired as a change agent, and then change only went so far. And it finally dawned on me, it wasn't my difficult personality necessarily. Um, It was the fact that all the, the default standards were being measured by men, even when there was a woman uh, head of my division, there's, of course, a guy at the top. And all of the performance standards, all of the ways we're supposed to lead and behave and um, get recognized are, are, are male-driven because that's the default, even when it's unintentional, you know. So if women ask a lot of questions, as they tend to do, they're considered insecure, incompetent, when they're usually just confirming, validating, checking value, bringing insight into a project. If women uh, make a rival a uh, after they're promoted, someone who is up for the same position, say, if they make that person part of their team, the male bosses think, well, she's just uh, not tough enough. You know, she's not yeah. willing to cut them off at the knees. And all of that is, I think, more courageous. You know, you have institutional memory. You have someone who understands what the job is, and you make your enemies close, and you turn them into a, uh, an asset and, and, and a colleague. So all these things um, were emotional for me, personal for me. I ended up forming my own company, a custom content company, around the turn of the century. And um, among other things, my sinus condition cleared up. <laughs> the stress level went down. And I started reporting and looking into small business for Microsoft. I was an online columnist for years for various Microsoft channels. So then I had the interviews, the stories, the grounding, the metrics, the reporting to back up the emotional side of what I was doing. And that's how I ended up saying, wait a minute, there's more going on here than just uh, breaking glass. You know, it's about a different style of, of behaving. Well, this is, a, I guess, a tell-all book then in that respect, because you really, you really go through it point by point on the differences between how men perceive things and how women perceive things. But, but again, I think, you, I think you said something very, very important that, you know, women, we do want it all. I mean, we want, we want a good family life. We want life, a balance in our life, I mean, a balanced life. But we also want to work and be creative, and that's something that, uh, you know, that women have to work very hard at. I mean, we have to figure out ways to do that. But I think what I really like about your book is, is that it really talks about women. Why why mess with the Fortune 500? Why don't you just start your own company? And, again, as you talked about the philanthropic aspect, women bring, they bring the emotional component and the, the need and the desire component into the business. 
And again, they're so great at connecting and so great at collaboration that this is where a lot of success is. I mean, you, you do talk about some of the numbers of the successful entrepreneurs' businesses in the United States that are startups by women. And, and I, I'm not, what are some of those numbers? I think well, there are, there are 9.5 million women-owned businesses now in this country. They're um, starting up at, they bring in uh, over a trillion dollars, one point something trillion. They employ 8 million people. African-American women are actually launching businesses faster than any other group, and women are faster than men. So there are now about a million and a half black women-owned companies that bring in $44 billion a year. And, of course, all these women are still not securing funding because most of the funding is done by uh, men. And they're not, whether it's lenders at banks or um, VC, um, venture capitalists, the partners tend to be male, and they tend to be white, of course. There are only yeah. about, um, I would say, 89, 90% of venture capitalists now are uh, male. So it, so it's really close. And people tend to back the kinds of people who are like themselves. You know, it's like right. a sorority or a fraternity club. So that's part of the problem. One of the interesting um, changes going on is still incipient is a rise of women angel investors. These, as you know, are affluent women who are, or individuals, angels are affluent individuals who back companies at the first early stage seed kind of level, so uh-huh. before equity funding, before venture capital or, or, or formal funding. And that's rising faster. Those women who are backing women-led ventures, who are affluent women, is rising pretty fast, um, but still kind of nascent. So they were about 13% of the 317,000 angel investors in this country in 2012 were women, 13%, so just over one out of 10. And by 2014, two, hour, two years later, that had doubled to 26%, so almost three out of 10. And the 2015 numbers are just about to come out. I would bet you that's um, also higher. It's still, you know, it's only a quarter, uh, but, it, but, but it is, but it is but rising fast. But it's a rising trend, right? It is. And crowdfunding, crowdfunding, I think, is a game changer for entrepreneurs generally and especially for women because it's peer-to-peer and takes out all the gatekeepers. Well, again, I think this is absolutely fantastic because women are, women are starting to support. I mean, that's what Women Connect for Good is all about. It's, all, it's always what I've been about. Until we actually support one another, you know, women actually supporting each other in business, in life, and in every aspect of, of a woman's life, you know, we're not going to be successful. And I think you're, you're talking about what, what I'm very, very excited about is that when we do, when women get behind each other and really support each other, anything is possible. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the the rules. I mean, as you you know, you keep talking about the rules in business are are different for women than they are for men. But when women use their their talents and their ability, success is the is the name of the game. It's also about trust, trusting your instincts, I think. It's very hard um, to be the squeaky wheel and say, wait a minute, you know, this is not working for me. I mean, it's a tough call whether yeah. you're in a, whether you're at a, a conference room full of guys or or not. There's um, There are a lot of stories about the lone woman in the room, you know, yeah. um, and whether it's in funding for the lone venture capitalist or not. One one of the things that women bring to the table, of course, is just their own perspective. For instance, 
There's a woman out in California who's one of the few venture capitalist women decision makers who launched a company called Illuminate. Her name is Cindy Padno. She's based in Oakland. And um, they try that company tries to be gender neutral about the, the funding they do. But she does tell a story about one uh and it's a tech based venture capitalist, so it's you know, it's even more fashion forward, um, than the kind of girl businesses, catering or graphics or what have you. So they only back they only back technology companies. She tells a story about having some investment in a software developer uh company that was making a mobile app for women, tar- that targeted women. So a mobile app for smartphone users. And the developers were real excited about this, and everyone was in their hubbub. And then finally, it was time to time to demo it, and they went in and brought in the marketing team. And there are the developers and the marketing team, and one lone woman on the marketing team, and everyone's yammering and really excited. And finally, into this noise, the woman said, "Are you guys crazy?" And all, all, you know, all talk ceases, and they look at her. What is her problem? And it turns out these these geek whippersnappers had created a smartphone app that you used by having it vibrate the phone. <laughs> and she had to point out that women don't wear their phones on their hip. <laughs> that they... <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, by the way, the emperor has no clothes. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, and there are, there are dozens of stories like that. I mean, on the other hand, I also, um, I, I go out of my way to, to tell women that they have to go where the boys are that they can't hang out in women-only precincts, they can't do women-only networking, they can't join women-only associations, because until and unless women show up at the co-ed associations and networking groups, the men will not see leaders, as won't see women as leaders and thriving, and they won't be where the money is. They have to yeah. go where yeah. where the money is. So yeah. it, there, there's, there's a fine line as far as where where we where change uh, change occurs. And and you're right. Talk a little bit about in your book about the difference between the millennials and the boomers as far as startup businesses. What are we seeing though as far as this this next generation of of women going into business? I mean, and the generations to come. Do we see some trends as far as some changes, or do we are we still just going to be as you say, feeling uncomfortable, feeling uh, you know, feeling out of place, but still trying to beat the drum with the boys. What do we have to look forward to? Well, it's a little early, obviously, but I, I, there are some incipient trends. First of all, because so many of the millennials um, came, are coming of age in the new normal and and the kind of flattened economy. This is the 1099 economy. Um, this is the gig economy. So they typically have a plan B. And they typically have two and three ideas about revenue. They're much faster to start up income in a way that is entrepreneurial, freelance, if not particularly a business plan. And also I think the men in the millennial generation are not willing as much as their dads have been to be 24-7 work. They want a life. They want they want the yoga. They want the trip to Machu Picchu <laughs> and spiritual <laughs> adventures, you know. Yeah. They, want it, they want to spend time with their kids. So it's tricky. And then, of course, the boomers who are watching their daughters grow up and, and face gender bias um, that nobody expected are also coaching their kids in different ways. So, um, you know, I, I, do see, I do see room for change. Women, of course, now in the, in the millennial and younger generations are the most educated that has, history has ever seen, at least in this country. And pretty much around the world, MBA candidates are up for, for women 
um, enrollees. We have women have more MB, more uh, BAs, BSs, and graduate degrees than men do now in America. And pretty soon, people are going to be annoyed and insulted that they're not getting the women are not getting the same salaries that the men are, which they, which happens at at age 32, 33. And especially when it's time to have kids, as we know. There's definitely some changes, but there's also more awareness, I think, at, at different levels. I attended a, a diversity conference. Uh, Sheila Robinson, uh, she puts on, she's Diversity Magazine, but she puts on this conference every year, and it's pretty phenomenal. Maybe close to 70% are women of color. But the thing about women of color is that they have known so long for such a, I mean, a long period of time that they're going to have to work twice as hard, they're going to have to be twice as educated, and they also, I mean, they talk about this openly, and they're going to get half as much as anyone else. I mean, and it's interesting to look at a group of women who understand this, and I think this is what women need to, to kind of, uh, in general, need to understand. Here's what's going on kind of what, what your expectations can be. But then again, because women leaders are perceived differently by men as, as you know, they, they still don't know what to do with this. They still don't yeah. When they see women leaders, they're still like, well, do what? Do I do A, B, or C, or, or do I offend her, or what? You know, I mean, the thing is we, we do have to show up. We have to be in leadership roles. We have to feel comfortable in them, and we have to see both genders seeing us in those roles for things to to change. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It has to happen. It's also that what's so entrenched is this unintentional bias. Even if um, leaders in, in corporations and government and academia are going out of their way to try and be feminist, for lack of a better word, or certainly to give women an opportunity, they're still in their heads judging by other standards. And women are still not confident and will not will not get ahead as readily or as easily, both because of, of, of the men at the top and also because they're, they're not really being true to themselves. They can't be because if they behave in the way that feels comfortable, it's not acceptable or it's not seen as promotable. It's not recognized or approved of. And so there's always this left foot starting out as opposed to the right foot. And, I, you know, it's going to take some time, but, I, but, but that's why I, I'm recommending entrepreneurship, which is not – the, you know, it's not possible for all women. I mean, it's a big step. You have to have certain kinds of support. You have to just, you have to have perhaps a certain kind of personality. You don't necessarily become Zuckerberg, and you don't become Kevin Systrom at Instagram. But you could have an income that allows you to have work-life balance. It allows you to have time with family that is maybe home-based or kitchen table um, or shares office space with other women, and it does give you that that freedom. McKinsey and Company and LeanIn.org, of all all institutions, the foundation that Sheryl Sandberg has has established, just did a study um, that came out, I think, late in 2015, that ha- that found that women will not not reach parity with men in the CEO suite until the year 2015. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no. Three th- yes, three th- And not only that, but they had done some earlier work, and they had to revise their estimation, their prediction, back because we'd slipped some. So not only aren't we advancing, we're kind of going in the other, with the other direction. They said we'd reach um, parity for the EVP, you know, executive VP, and the step down below CEO by the year 2040. Yeah, wow. And I just think, you know, I can't. I, the way to, the way 
to, to show that women are leaders is to be in charge of your own show. So I don't necessarily think um, the way to get to parity is, is not to be in corporate America. I just think it's a way to live a better life. You are going to have purpose and parity, and then eventually I think it will accelerate the process of social change. Yeah, well, but, I mean, you bring to the Vita, your resume and your Vita that you're building, if you bring to any corporation, is pretty impressive if you started a multi-million dollar startup company. And That's right. You've been an entrepreneur and da-da-da. You know, again, building the confidence of women is a, is a, is a huge piece of this. Yeah, but, you know, venture venture creation, whether male or female, is a very broad continuum, very broad platform. Only 6% or so of male-owned firms reach the level of a million dollars in revenue a year, only 6%. And now it's up to about 3 or 4% of women-owned companies. Most um, small businesses, most venture creations in this in this country are way below that level, and the, and the only thing that gets you know press and 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 accolades and interest are are the Zuckerbergs, you know, or or you know, bless her heart, or Spanx, you know, for the large corporations, the Estee Lauders, or but um, but you don't need to get to that level to have a really lucrative business. Yeah, well, and you know, I guess the you talk about, again, the, the differences between men and women. Of course, women want to have some happiness in their life and some satisfaction as well. So <laughs> there's not, there's nothing wrong with any of that and, and have a good family life. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So what are some of the rules that, that maybe we need to be a little bit more aware of? What are the differences? Well, I, I talk about something called the gender toolbox um, yeah. because, I, because I like um, the sexes coming together to learn from each other, and I think that too will change both the business equation and the, the social contract. So, women, I think, uh, in business are are tend to be too risk averse. That that is um, a challenge and a weakness for them, and they'd rather bootstrap than go into debt, even when it's reasonable for them to take on some kind of loan or some kind of equity partner. There are reasons, I think, for that because if, especially if they've come out of corporate life, they're co-opted all the time, and every time they have someone who they work with, it tends to, again to, to, to default to, oh, that's the guy in charge, you know. Um, there's there's a story, there's a profile of a woman in my book who is a mead maker. She she's built she's she's making mead like they do in medieval times, uh-huh. and selling it. And she's the mead maker, you know, like the the winemaker type, and. She works with a partner, and every time they go somewhere, they, the, whoever they meet, she says, assumes that she's like the event planner and the marketer, and he's the one who makes the meat. <laughs> so the perceptions are, are hard to get over. But women have got to step up, and, and that's the other thing. They wait for permission. Um, in corporate life, women in, in jobs from, you know, Secretary to I think EVP they w- they wait till they show that they can do the job they wait to show that they are up to the performance. Right. Men get hired for their potential, women get hired for their resume, right. and yeah. and that's a big problem. You know, women have to say they have to ask for the next job, whatever that is, even as a, as an entrepreneur or as uh, someone in a in a large corporation. And men, on the other hand, have to have to back up from this command and control style. The male leadership model. This is not every man, and these are not every women, but tendencies, characteristics tend to to play out. Men will reward uh, results on the job. So if someone does well, especially another guy, 
It's like, okay, I see. You can do the job. Here's more money. Here's more recognition. Here's more responsibility. Um, and there's this, I'm going to keep control of everything until I want to reward you. If they made more of a team, if they allowed more of an atmosphere of, I guess, experimentation, then ideas would be bolder. And then people would think out of the box because they wouldn't be so scared to, to suggest something. And women are very good at that, which is also why they tend to be good at building teams. They make people feel part of the team and consensus and collegial. So those are some of the issues. Um, also, women are um, very good at networking, as as you point out, but they um, they don't necessarily hang out in the in the co-ed spaces. They don't like to get out of their comfort zone. Um, in terms of money, um, women don't look at the financial dashboard for a business as much or as often or as well as they could. They, they're very focused on the tenants, tend to be very focused on the trees. They don't see the forest. Men are fabulous usually at taking that leap. They'll look for the goal. They'll look for the exit strategy. They'll look at the horizon. They're good at that sort of thing. Women are um, in the parlance of today working in the business instead of on it. And they have to step back and have those kind of strategic goals. Well, you know, but it's, it sounds, Joanna, that if you combine a lot of these things, you could make it even a more tremendous build, uh, business. I mean, let's face it, if you could build these people skills, and, and you know, you talk about intuition, women's intuition. I mean, again, sometimes, uh, you know, there's risk-taking, but intuition and good common sense brings in a, a lot of good uh, good business outcomes. So, you know, it sounds to me if if we all just finally would just go, hey, wait a minute, you're good at this and I'm good at that, if we can bring them all together, then it's going to be a, a pretty darn successful business. How could you fail? It boggles my mind, especially when you came up with the, the what was the number, what was the name, well, what was the year again, the parity for women? 3015. Oh, my God. A <laughs> hundred years from now. Well, you know, take the lead of, Women Connect for Good is, is partnering with Take the Lead, and our goal is 2025 to have leadership parity in our country. So uh, we're we're uh, we're a lot more uh, positive and, and feel like we we've, we've definitely got to create lead, women's leadership uh, in in our country. I mean, you know, like I said, if we, we're still 75th in the in the world as far as women's leadership, so I think that that definitely we as women have to really take, we have to take notice of that and we have to do something about it. And it's it's going to be up to us because, uh, again, it doesn't sound like any any men are going to pr- help promote us to get there, so we're going to have to do it ourselves. So I'm, I'm a lot more positive that 2025 that we can have women's leadership a, a lot better than most countries in the world as far as what we have right now. Well, the book is great. The book is good. It's being equal doesn't mean being the same. Well, we know that, but uh, why behaving like a girl can change your life and grow your business. You know, I'm I'm very positive about women. You're very positive about women. We've seen some great changes. Uh, yes, we need to see some more, but we need to see more of the, the gender biases disappear and that the gender's coming together. Uh, how we do that and when we do that, we just have to keep one step at a time, one day at a time. But why would why would I want to read your book? Let me let me just ask you that. Why why would I personally want to read this book? Well, I think it's uh, both practical and inspirational, and that that for me was a tough act to try and and balance. So, yeah. I position in the in the beginning there were three main sections. I position in the beginning the history of women's entrepreneurship, which turns out to be more African American than anyone had thought for women. The first uh, million self-made millionaire entrepreneurs 
female in this country were both black and for, from former slaves. They were the first generation of emancipated women. Um, and it, it's just astonishing. And the first social entrepreneurs, because both of them gave back in incredible ways. So positioning, look, we do have this history in this country of role models. I, I kept hearing for the 10 years I've had my business, well, you know, it's tough for women. They don't have role models. They don't have anyone to look up to, so they have to invent everything themselves. Well, no, it's like so much of women's history. The, those stories didn't get written down and don't get told. We hear about Thomas Edison, you know. We hear about Ben Franklin. We don't hear about Madam C.J. Walker or Annie Malone, who are, you know, extraordinary role models. A lot of the former slaves in this country were entrepreneurials because they were the women who had skills, and, of course, women of any affluence didn't work. So um, the first dressmaker to the stars did... Mrs. Lincoln's dress was a former slave, making her, her gowns and things. So there are the role models out there. When I kept looking and looking and looking at this, it was the, that so many of the stories I'd been fed didn't didn't gel. And um, that was it. So I think that's partly to read the book to say, okay, I have a history. I can find I can pull this thread and, and be part of this continuum. And then I found out um, also in research where the gender pay gap came from, and that was extraordinary to me, that it was an unintentional consequence. So it, one more time, history kind of fooled me. I didn't understand how it happened. And then the third, the fourth, the third part of the book is all about these gender differences that you and I have been exploring, and that is be true to yourself, and here are some very practical ways to deal with money and negotiations and communications and sales and success. So um, I, I feel like I, I needed to cover both uh, the inspiration and the call to action, which most most of the agents I talked to didn't really see. They wanted it one or the other, and I didn't want to do that. So that's what I think you get if you read it. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. I love what you said though about the history books. The history books were written by men. They weren't written by women. And all the stories that we we should have been reading or have as role models have disappeared, or or just were never even even written about. And and I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful thing that uh, yeah. In in our history, some amazing things have happened, but but a lot of women don't know about. It. It's like Tiananmen Square in China. The kids now don't even know Tiananmen Square even even occurred. Right. It's, it's interesting how we can we can slant things just from having them disappear. Well, what you're doing is you're bringing it back, and you're and we're making. Like I said, you are an agent of change, whether you like it or not. Still, Joanne, and so am I. And so we're just going to keep it. We're going to keep beating on our drums and keep going for it. But uh, it's a great book. Uh, the stories are wonderful. If anything, it just kind of, you know, when I was reading yesterday and, and I was going, aha, you know, I have a aha moment. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Thank you so much. So I, I really, I really like the book. Again, it's called Being Equal Doesn't Mean Being the Same. Uh, why behaving like a girl can change your life and grow your business. So, congratulations! It's it's a beautiful book. It's very well written. As always, you do such a fantastic job. You are a storyteller, and these are stories that need to be told. So, Joanna, thank you so much, and you keep up the great work, and we'll just keep doing what we do, and keep beating on our drums, and keep going forward. So, you have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for the platform and the opportunity. And likewise, you keep beating on your drum. So. Oh, I am. I am. So. <laughs> Take care. Let's keep doing it. Okay, thanks. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye.